Hello, and welcome to the Order of Initiative. This is a Dungeons & Dragons podcast where me and my friends talk about D&D, DMing, and everything to do with running the game. Hey! Welcome! Today, we're talking about Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, a new D&D book that just came out. I'm Charles, and with me today I have Nathan. Hello, hello. And Willis. Hello. But before we get into the conversation, we're going to roll initiative to see who leads it. That's a 19, boys. It sounds like Charles is going to be leading today. Oh, uh, yeah. No, no, no. You've got a That's 5% a chance. And I didn't get it. Nope. Hell yeah. Well. Uh, general impressions. I kind of, I like this book. There's a few things I'm disappointed with, simply because I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, but I kind of already thought of some of the things they suggest. Um, but that's when it comes down to like how to implement sidekicks or certain environmental things and, and group patrons. But I still want to get into those. There are a lot of interesting subclasses in here, and I feel like there's a lot of intentional themes woven throughout Tasha's. Um, but, you know... The very first chapter, I like how it starts off. It talks about customizing your origin and adjusting ability scores. It, it t touches on how like your general stereotypical dwarf is stocky, bulky, beefy, and that's why they get con buffs and I think strength buffs depending on the kind of dwarf you are. But as the bo the book points out, like it's a not every dwarf is going to be that. Maybe you want to be a more like intelligent dwarf, so you're not as bulky. Or maybe you want to be a beefy elf. It, it I love this because it it just reinforces or I guess gives a a lot more freedom in how you want to play a character. If I ha I don't think I've, I've even said what they're getting at. They in the book says um as an optional rule, if you have a like a plus two increase to your decks, say. Just make that a plus two strength or a plus two con. Just change the, uh, change what stats being modified. Keep the numbers the same, but otherwise swap around whatever. I love that. I think it's a little weird like that all tieflings have a plus two to charisma. Like, is the whole race really like charismatic? Really? All of them? 100%? Is every dwarf bulky? Is every elf nimble? Those are the stereotypes, sure, but like... Fantasy is such a, a lived-in genre at this point that I love to see stereotypes kind of like a fought against, you know? Just take it a new direction. There, there's just so many options. I love it. I'm actually um, on the other end of this one. I'm not a huge fan of this change. Uh, <gasps> shocker, I know. Uh, get ready for me to tear this book apart. I'm not happy. <laughs> I'm... Kidding, mostly. There's a lot of good stuff in here, but I, um, honestly, I, as, as somebody who came from D&D 3.5 and watched something similar happen to the Elder Scrolls games, I don't really like when, sort of, the races start feeling more samey. Sure, they still have, you know, proficiency changes, but those can be moved around as well, and it's just sort of, it, I guess, I, I, I feel like, on one hand, you're right. Uh, you know, everybody's different, everybody has different things that they're good at, and we're all, you know, human, and humans aren't necessarily good or bad at necessarily different things. But it feels weird to me that, um, 
you know, at, at this stage in the game, um, a halfling can just, you know, is is by default sort of strength biologically the same as a Goliath. I think I think that's sort of silly. And and that being said, it is completely feasible for maybe like a more bookish. Uh, shut in uh, Goliath to you know not really work on their muscles too much while there's this halfling doing push-ups daily outside uh, and gets stronger but that's feasible to do in the game with the rules as it is it just the sort of the base ability score increases are more representative of sort of how that character's biology is and you are right there are some that are a little bit weird the I don't I think the mental stats being attributed to races may be a little bit more problematic to me like just deciding uh, one entire species is just stu- more stupid than the rest. Yeah, like the the, bit... or- the full-blooded orcs in Volvo's Guide to Everything are by default like have a negative intelligence modifier, which is yeah. a little. Yeah, and I, I just I I am so happy they took that out. I think um, oh yeah, the three three five went away from negative uh, uh, modifiers to ability scores. Uh, well, three five had those, and five e went away from that. And adding them back for specific races just feels both a bit weird from both a um, like a like a uh, gameplay and you know real life standpoint like mechanically that's just disparate from what the system's doing and then other things just feels weird to say all orcs are stupid um, oh yeah but I mean at, at, at like at the end of the day I I think um, that I, the races with this optional rule just don't feel as impactful to me anymore when I read this section. Um, to me, it felt like it was sort of pointed at um, people that like to optimize their characters rather than uh, people that are uh, like to do, you know, kind of like they'll, they'll do a sub-optimized character for roleplay potential. I think it was kind of aimed at, at those, those players that like to optimize their characters to get them to branch out and break the mold a little bit. Because um, it's like, I've seen a lot where it's like, oh, if you want to build a a stealthy rogue, you gotta go with, like, a halfling or something with a yeah. lot of a good dex modifier. That way you can start out with those, you know, the 18s and whatever. Um, and then this way you can build a um, an orc <laughs> or a half-orc that's super stealthy and ninja-like by giving him a dex bonus rather than mm-hmm. the bonuses that he does get naturally. I mean, at the end of the day, this is just an optional thing. It's always, it's still down to, like, the DM's ruling. And it, it does emphasize that, like, hey, the stereotypes, you know, everyone thinks of dwarfs is, is bulky. So if you want to stick with that, you should do it. But it's, it, I mean, it's optional. And I, I I just love that it opens up so many options. When you look at any, like, class guide online, there's always a section for, like, the ideal race to play. And that always has irked me a little bit. It It always feels weird that, like, optimal warlock is a half elf or a tiefling it's like that's i don't it feels really weird to me that you should be considering your race in terms of optimal play and not every player is going to mid max but i i love that the options are just so much more open now well i think the thing is like that really hasn't necessarily changed because some of the races still do have different things than others it's just the impact is a little bit less but for example Half, I mean, uh, mountain dwarfs still get you know two and two, so they get a four four points they get to put wherever, and they've got all armor and weapon proficiencies basically right out the bat, um, as well as um, they get one other thing that I forget off the top of my head. But uh, they're now that you can put those numbers anywhere, 
uh, it's it's moved away from you know uh, play this race for this class to play mountain dwarf. It's just the the, the goalpost has sort of changed position slightly. Is all that's happening. That's fair. Mm-hmm. There's still there's still going to be optimal strats, and at the end of the day, you know, bumping your ability score by two gets you an additional plus one to rolls relevant to it. It's not a game changer. Yeah, which is why I feel like I that this didn't really feel necessary to me, anyways, because it it sort of takes away some sort of uh, I guess mechanical identity for and and archetype for races, and all you get in return is maybe a 5% bonus on a any on 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 a, on a type of role. I don't know. I like it. it. It just feels like a good place to start coming up with new ideas and reevaluating what the races are physically or mentally like. And it just it promotes diversity within the individual races. Yep, yeah, and that's fair. I um didn't feel like this wasn't really a necessary change for the game and yeah. i can say i won't be using it at my table is it is it fair to say that you feel like i mean i think you might have even said as much that like the identity of the races or maybe shaved down a little bit if you can change their stats at will yeah that, that's what i yeah yeah it's sort of where i'm at i get that i guess yeah, no, I I understand that. I just like I like um customization in D and I'm all about flavor. I'm all about trying to make the most unique characters you can, and this feels like a just another tool for it. But we spent ten minutes on the first page, so maybe <laughs> maybe we should move on. So I mean, then the book just gets into lots of subclasses. The uh, we we got the artificer in a in a uh, in a book finally. I guess we had it in Eberron before, but we've. Got it consolidated with some stuff, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's pretty much exactly the same, except for a few new subclasses for it. I really we like the armor. The armor, the armorer, I think, has changed from what it was when it was originally in UA. Um, and it's it's not as good, but it's still pretty fun. You're basically fantasy Iron Man, which is pretty neat. For me, like, I I don't get too much into the like mechanics of of classes even though i like i make my own classes and subclasses a lot of the time when it comes to like official stuff i usually just enjoy flavor so i'm I'm pretty lenient so it's like oh i can make a magic suit of armor and shoot lightning awesome and then uh, yeah we could break down the mechanics of it if we, if we want but i i do enjoy the flavor of having a magic suit of armor yeah i, I i'm a I've been a big fan of the armor since uh, it got put into UA. Um, I haven't been following UA nearly as much as I did uh, back in the day, but um, this is definitely one that I checked out and was was real happy with. I, I'm a big fan of. I, I think it's pretty neat that it um, you've got sort of both the options to one uh, be you know the more defensive bulky option, or you could also do uh, the infiltrator, which I haven't really looked into a whole lot because I'm not nearly as interested in that because I. Iron Man's cool, uh, but it, it it definitely gives some freedom, and I think this is a really neat uh, subclass for uh, the Artificer. Uh, on top of all you know the other stuff it's got going on for it. Yeah, I, I this one stands out to me as well, just because I've the idea I've always had for an Artificer was someone who's upgrading their own body and replacing their limbs slowly and. This is 100% the class and subclass I'm going to play for that character I had in mind. Uh, Barbarian Path of the Beast is fun for me as Ooh, well. Yeah. And I, 
I'm realizing now that a lot of the classes in here I like are like, hey, that works perfectly for this character I had in mind, because I always have like 20 characters in my head I want to play. Beast Barbarians is really neat. The whole idea is you like a, a bit more of a animalistic vibe to it, or bestial, if you will. Almost like and a werewolf you, kind of thing. Yeah, I think I think it talks about your origin. Like, yeah, one of your parents is a lycanthrope, is one of the options um, for like why you are this path. But you grow like claws, you grow fangs. I just I love the idea of turning a little more animalistic and raging and having like a physical transformation as part of your rage is really interesting. We're Wolverine. This I will say as much as I do like the path of the beast and what it presents, I can very, very easily see this going anime edge board esque just very quickly. (laughs) Well, that's, I mean, we, this, this is D and D we've, that's, that's just part of the part, part of the game. That's gonna happen. Yeah. I think Rogues I, exist. I think you both are familiar with this character, but I have he's usually like my my go to one shot character is Doctor Henrik Goodsir, who is kind of a Jekyll and Hyde character. He's a halfling barbarian who for his rages chugs a potion and then hulks out. And this is just perfect. Like I already envisioned him getting like claws and fangs. And th- there's fun stuff in here, like you have uh bite and claw attacks now. You also at sixth level, you get climbing speed. And I just love the idea of just like digging your, your claws into walls and climbing around. Even like you can even climb upside down without needing to make ability checks. And I just love the idea of well, like, like a that. totally animalistic character just rushing down people. And that yeah, makes like sound... sort of an archetype we haven't really had in the game other than like say druids, but uh, oh, yeah. even there, there's sort of the, the more mystical aspect of things where this lets us get more into the bestial side. Yeah, yeah. And they've got some other fun abilities. Uh, Call of the Hunt at 14th level. You can... You give temporary hit points to allies by kind of like roaring. And it just... I don't know, the fact that it comes so late I think is interesting. To me, it, it speaks to the idea like... I guess I can envision a party being a little mistrustful of this character um, in early game, right? Because they are literally transforming into like a half-animal state. But later on... I can totally picture a scene where a fight starts out, the barbarian rages out and then gives out this roar, which boosters all the opponent, all your allies. And it just seems like the perfect culmination of like the barbarian trusting the Thor more, the party trusting the Thor more and just seeing them transform gives them confidence rather than fear. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really neat. Yeah. I, I like it a lot. I'm definitely going to be playing this one for the next, uh, next time I play Henrik. <laughs> Uh, Path of Wild Magic is interesting. Oh, yeah. Like, wild, it's, I mean, it's wild magic sorcerer as a barbarian, and when you rage, something happens. There's, there's a chart for different magical effects that can happen. I read through that chart, and it seemed like most of them were positive. They are, I think, I believe they're all good. Yeah, yeah. that's, I, which is, it's a lot more is, tame compared yeah. to the wild magic sorcerer table. Well, and like, it, yeah. it was built in as almost like, it seems like it was built in as almost like a um, random buff rather than with Wild Magic Sorcerer where it was just like, just anything, pure random, like <laughs> yeah. anything. It could be anything. The one I always think of for Wild Magic Sorcerer is self-casting Fireball. Uh, yeah. Which, yeah. just, wanna, you know. Want to get a TPK at level one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is how you do it. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's not... A class or an archetype I can see myself playing, but 
it, well, it's it's interesting because it kind of goes a little bit against your, I think your typical barbarian who was just an angry rage man. It's you know I think it it talks about how you might have a connection to the Feywild, yeah. And so for whatever reason, your rage is tethered to this stranger plane of magic, and there's a little bit of chaos thrown in. I can see int- uh, creative players taking that and doing something fun with it. Oh, okay. So under bards, I like want to play a bard now, which I I hadn't really wanted to before. They don't interest me terribly, but the College of Eloquence is really interesting to me. Oh yeah, that's like party face written all over it. You know what you know what I think of when I look at the College of Eloquence? I can only see the doctor. <laughs> all of the Oh yeah. All of oh, yeah. all of the feats from the College of Eloquence are based around like charisma, persuasion checks in general. Um Silver Tongue, your third level feature. Um, when you make a charisma check or deception check, you can treat a, a d20. Sorry, you can treat a roll of nine or lower as a ten. So your default's ten, and you almost certainly have um, proficiency in that. And you know by the end of it, your persuasion or deception checks are going to be just like high as a default, which I could see annoying some DMs. Um, but but I think that's just a conversation you have to have with your player. Like, listen, just so you know, persuasion checks are not mind control. But I love the idea of, and it kind of makes sense anyway. We you know we kind of talked about this in our last episode. But like, someone who is inherently persuasive and charming probably isn't going to have too many off days where they you know roll a nat one and throw up in their mouth while trying to persuade someone. It makes sense to just have a a nice baseline. Mm-hmm. The okay. other there's some nut stuff in College of Eloquence, man. Um, unsettling words. How, my dog just opened the door with her face. Kisa, get out. Um, unsettling words. Uh, they're another third level feature. Um, as a bonus action, you can expend one of your inspirations and choose a creature within 60 feet of you. Um, and then you roll your inspiration die and the creature subtracts the number rolled from their next saving throw. I love this. I just love the idea of you a character who is her like main their main weapon is words and just by saying some pointed comment you can make a creature doubt themselves so much that they are rolling worse than they would on on saves. Do we have any other sort of um classes that have like offensive bardic inspiration? I don't I don't know. I feel like that's, I think we've got like, um, there's, there's, I think I want to say it's like the college of swords. It allows you to to add your D your, you can spend your inspiration as, uh, add it to your attack. I think. Gotcha. All right. So maybe, 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 yeah, I, I think that that's sort of still like more of buffing something than it is like, uh, this where it's just directly saying, screw you guy. Uh, yeah. It's kind of like the, the cutting words or uh, dissonant whispers, but you, you, you're doing it with Bardic Inspiration Die, which I think is, is pretty neat. I like to imagine a, a whiz. They're making a wisdom saving throw, and the bard's just like, idiot says what? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a bonus action, so you gotta say You gotta do it beforehand. I picture something a lot darker. Like they're trying. They're, you know, they're gonna have to make a save, and you say something like. No one's ever really loved you, have they? You just feel a little pathetic, aren't you? And there's like, oh, jeez, man. 
Um, the, oh, unfailing inspiration, a sixth level feature for it. This is this is fucking whack, dude. Um, when a creature adds one of your bardic inspiration dice to its ability check, attack roll, or saving throw, and the roll fails, the creature can keep the bardic inspiration die. Ooh. And it doesn't say, like, and then it goes away. No, they keep the die until it helps them. That's nuts! That is pretty... Or or, an, or the time runs out, but yeah, that's that's wild. That's fair. But, like, a a buff you get to keep until it actually helps you succeed? That's insane. That's so good. That does um, that does sound though that like like it's it stems from like people being like oh yeah he's my bark inspiration it didn't do anything <laughs> yeah this class seems to be using a lot like the uh, bard in general has a lot of stuff going on for it it's a very versatile class but it seems like the bardic inspiration is something that the class just sort of gets mm-hmm. um, and this one is playing a lot more with it than I'm seeing from other classes mm-hmm. and I I'm into it. Uh, Universal Speech lets you, um, what is it? You can just talk to anybody. Oh, yeah. Yeah, anyone can understand your language. That's pretty neat. And then Infectious Inspiration is also really fun. Um, when a a creature within 60 feet of you adds one of your Bardic Inspiration dice to its ability check, attack, roll, or saving throw, and the roll succeeds, you use your reaction to encourage a different creature that can hear you within 60 feet. Um... And then you can use it as a reaction to number time equals to your charisma modifier. But it's just, it's it, this seems like a character who is like the ultimate pacifist. It almost seems like you could play as someone who doesn't have a single weapon. And this is why it makes makes me think of the Doctor. The Doctor's biggest weapons are his words most of the time. And I, now I want to play like a artificer, bard, uh, multi class. <laughs> just I I either talk people down or I make gadgets. That does sound like a lot of fun. You're like making yeah. making uh, tools for your companions, not necessarily even yourself, and then just mm-hmm. talking the rest of the time. Yeah, I like this one a lot. It just seems like the ultimate party face, ultimate silver tongue. Mm-hmm. And I do feel that D and D, like they did have a lot of like classes that just kind of touched on the roleplay potential of it sort of but like a lot of it comes from you the player whereas this this for sure because it like it, it feels like the rules are all very um combat slash skill check oriented and this one i feel like really builds itself towards roleplaying absolutely if you've got a uh, player who loves to roleplay i can see them doing a lot with this class and, like, I, I guess it doesn't even have to be a pacifist, you know? That unsettling words is, in my mind, kind of leaned more towards being an asshole. And I could see just, like, a total manipulative dick uh, character coming out of this archetype. The um, cleric gets a peace domain that has a pretty interesting feature called bonds. I will try to, try to go through this one pretty quickly. Um, with an action, you choose a number of creatures... Uh, willing creatures within 30 feet of you equal to your proficiency bonus. Then you create a bond between them for 10 minutes. Um, while any creature is within 30 feet of, of another, the creature adds a d4, sorry, can roll a d4 and add the number rolled to an attack roll, an ability check, or saving throw it makes. And you can add no more than 1d4 per turn. Th- that's just nuts. You just choose... You choose, like probably up to your whole party and then everyone has a d4 on pretty much any roll once per turn 
That's so good. Is there a limit on it? Number um, of times equal to proficiency bonus. Yep. Gotcha. Cool. But it's, I mean, it still lasts 10 minutes, and that's easily a whole fight. Maybe two. That's by, like, level whatever, whenever you get that fifth ability score, uh, proficiency bonus, that's, that's nearly an hour. Yeah. Divided by, um, uh, yeah, that's pretty whack. The, I mean, the bond does more stuff, but I don't want to read every single point again. That, yeah, that bond does even more stuff at higher levels. You're basically just buffing the whole party at once. It's really interesting, uh, domain. Like, definitely a more, more supporty cleric rather than, oh, yeah. you know, battle cleric than what you normally go with. Which I like. I think, um, life domain always kind of felt a little weak to me, uh, just sort of your healing is a little bit better. Whereas this one's like, you definitely got like more of a unique mechanic going on to it. Um, that still sort of giving you those, uh, that, that ability. And it's a support cleric that is more along the lines of making your party perform better rather than healing damage after damage has been dealt, which is frankly, you know, strictly better, uh, mitigating yeah. damages and, and which, uh, is always better than healing it. And, uh, Getting through a combat faster because you're performing better is a good way to mitigate damage. It really is. Like, and there's a lot of tactical stuff that you can do. It. At 6th at level, that bond lets another creature who's um, part of the bond teleport and take an attack at half damage that oh, would have nice. hit the first person. Like, And if you have a lot of resistances already in the party, like you've got a tiefling who's resistant to fire, and he sees someone else about to take a fire attack, he just teleports and then takes half of that well, I, I guess it wouldn't stack. You don't start taking fourth damage, but regardless, you, you can be really tactical, uh, tactical with who takes what damage, and it's reduced in half regardless. Right. Druids. Circle of Spores is an interesting class, both, like, uh, flavor-wise. It, um... Because it... It talks a bit about how they view death, which is always interesting to me. They don't view undeath as necessarily unnatural. They kind of view it as borrowing uh, a body for a minute. And you can use your spores to basically make uh, undead companions for a little bit. I like that. I think we, I remember we had a guy playing a circle of spores druid a while ago. Uh, <clears throat> and I remember it seeming pretty neat. Did do, do you know if it's changed much since that UA? I'll be honest, I don't remember. I, and I think when we... Because that was for that fungus campaign anyway, wasn't it? That yeah. was like four or five years ago. I don't. <laughs> I have no idea how much it's changed since then. It's definitely a cool archetype for the Druid that I was surprised we didn't get earlier. It's sort of, you know, the, the, the fungus wizard is kind of an a, a, a archetypal fantasy thing that, um, you know, uh, you know the toadstools and, and, and mushrooms and stuff always showing up in, in like fairy tales and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, you think we'd have seen this sooner, and I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad it's here. Yeah, yeah. I, there's not too much I have to say about the mechanics, but just flavor-wise, it's it's interesting. It's a nice, um, nice ground to have covered. I wonder if the reason why it's taken a little bit longer to come out is because of the connections between mushrooms and like mind-altering substances and things <laughs> like that. <laughs> Maybe. Could be. That seems like a, a fun connection to uh, to examine. Oh, I've seen it. I've seen it quite a few times. Circle of Wildfire is neat. It does... It's like the first hint of a... a I, I hesitate to call it a problem. 
But there's a lot of these archetypes that have features that boil down to summon something. You have a companion that you can summon at will. And I, I think one of the problems with 5e combat can be that it feels clunky and a little slow at times. And giving, like, introducing, like, I swear to God, like, a dozen new archetypes that each have companions that are meant to fight on the front lines in battle. I just, man, combat's going to take so much longer if you had a, a whole cla- a whole party with classes with these summons. Not a huge fan. Yeah, same. I do agree with that, but I I actually didn't read a little bit deeper on this one. And I think it specifically said that you have to use your... Like, you have to use part of your actions to... Like, you have to sacrifice some of your action pool to have it do anything. I might actually, I might be thinking of a different one that gets it, but that was something that I did see, is that um, I think the trade-off was that you had to sacrifice some of your actions. Um, uh, I think for this, you summon it as an action, and but then it says it shares your initiative count. Um, the only action it takes... Yeah, it basically goes right after you. I don't think you have to sacrifice any of your action. You do have to use a bonus action to command it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the on one hand, I I um, know that you know a lot of uh, people playing this, this game, participating in this hobby, love the idea of having a little pet or companion to hang around with you. So I think that's probably the reason we have so many of them, so every class has it represented. Um, I still think that... Um, having more than a party's worth of uh, individuals on the battlefield can make things get real messy real fast. But at mm-hmm. least in the case of the druid, I'm willing to forgive it. Druids have historically generally had animal companions around, and the fact that they were robbed of that in this edition is a crime. Um, making, I think, do they... Shep, the Circle of the Shepherd gives them some stuff, but that's a little bit more um, handleable. Uh, so I'm... I'm I think druids having companions around is is makes more sense to me. Yeah, but I don't really have a, an issue with like an individual class doing it. I'm just picturing you know the worst case scenario where everyone picks up an archetype yeah. that has a, a summonable companion. Well, and I'm just dreading running that combat. <laughs> aside from that, even the the book has the optional rules in the back that for sidekicks. So it's like even if your class doesn't have options for a companion, you can get one if. If your DM allows those optional rules, obviously, but... Yeah. I'm just uh, really bummed that uh, we got a sage advice a long time ago defending how bad the the uh, Beastmaster Ranger is by saying, you don't need a class to have a pet. You can just get a pet. This game's freeform. <laughs> there's, like, there's, there's, there's this nonsense that you need to have a feature that gives you a good pet. To have a pet is stupid, and then, you know, a few years later, everything is a pet now. <laughs> Pretty much. Wizards of the Coast, what are you, I... what are you trying to tell me? Do you just hate the ranger? We'll get sorry. We'll, oh, they do. We'll yes, get there. They do. We'll that's, get there. That's uh, confirmed. I think. I do think the, the wildfire uh, druid has a, an interesting feature. The level fourteenth. Um, you can basically sacrifice that wildfire spirit you can summon, um, and you drop to zero hit points. You instead cause the spirit to drop to zero hit points, and then you regain half of your hit points. Holy um, snap! And I. Like, the Wildfire Druid seems a little little unkillable, considering I feel like Druids are pretty tanky anyway, because every time you transform, you get the full health of whatever that thing is. And this is just another feature that gives you half your health back. And like, goddamn, like, these things are going to be so annoying to kill. To be fair, that is using your Wild Shape feature to summon your Wildfire Spirit, so 
it's it's taking up one of the uses that you would normally use for that purpose to basically do the same thing. Um, How many do you have at 14th level, though? Like, uh, Well, I'd have to open the PHB. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, it's a limited resource, but it's still a lot more survivability than most classes have. Yeah, exactly. I, but I don't think it gives it any more survivability than you would have by just wild shaping. because that, That's fair, because you are using it. Yeah, and yeah. A, another point is when you are wild shape, most of the time you have just piss poor uh, AC. Like, just real low. So you are getting hit a lot more. That's true. I'm just mad the wildfire druid lost a fireball. Is nonsense. Did they have that originally? They had it in the UA and they took it away oh, from wow. them. They replaced it with... Uh, what did they replace it with? Um, Flaming Sphere? I don't remember exactly, but I think it was one It was one of the... Um, I think it was Revivify that they got instead. Huh. I mean, I kind of get that. I, when I think of druids, I don't really think of like your huge damage dealers. So I get it. I just... But it's I, fireball. I just, you know, like, it's, it's fireball. <laughs> It's fireball. It's, it's, it's the it's the spell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't just yeah. dangle that in front of your players and then rip it away. Yeah, it's a fire themed archetype, but it doesn't get the iconic spell. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Um, they fighters. It's yep. A few new fighting options, which are pretty neat. Uh, blind fighting, I like. Yeah. Blind sight with a range of ten feet. That's neat. Like, I almost wish it was a bit more. Um, I mean, blind sight's pretty whack, but I, you know, I'm picturing your kind of stereotypical blind like literally blind fighter right like mm-hmm. daredevil mm-hmm. um so a range of 10 feet is not terribly useful i think it's probably better used in conjunction with a real actual sight it's basically um, just really good for dealing with like it says in the second half invisible creatures um mm. uh and you know maybe maybe you're a human fighter and uh you're you've got a party full of elves uh, this sort of gives you an option other than using it, forcing you to use a torch. And also, yeah. I can see it being useful in a combat where you're fighting somebody, and then they blind you, and then you keep fighting them. <laughs> like, instead of being, that's like, hamstringed for the duration. Yeah, that's pretty situational, but it is still, like, mm-hmm. really interesting flavor that you can just keep fighting anyway. Uh, interception is okay you basically you can use your reaction to reduce damage to an attack of someone attacking near you 1d10 plus proficiency bonus that's neat I like the idea of just throwing your, your shield on the way to block i think it doesn't have to be a shield it says you can be using a a simpler martial weapon too so you can like if a bolt is flying towards your party member i love the idea of just cutting it out of the air with your sword mm-hmm. um they also uh put jedis in there now uh, which one? The Psy Warriors. Oh, yeah. Psy oh, that Warrior. actually ripped the Mystic. You know? So, yeah, I think the Psy Warrior is the first hint at what is basically a theme throughout Tasha's, which is psychic and psionic adjacent features and classes and abilities. Mm-hmm. Lots of yep. psychic powers now. The Soul Knife being another one, it sort of seems like they, oh, yeah. rather than redu- include the Mystic, this, you know, one class that has six different classes built inside of it, <laughs> uh, that could do whatever the hell it wants, they're just turning the sort of different aspects of the, the Mystic into, or or different aspects of uh, classic Psionic uh, classes from previous editions and just adding them as subclasses to existing ones. And Cyware is the first one I, we're running into there. I think the, the Mystic is coming. I think we're going to see it sooner I, rather than later. 
I I, I think it's dead. <laughs> I, it's gone I, I don't know. It's infamously like broken as hell, <laughs> to put it lightly. I, I know it, get, it gets a bad rep. Uh, I would love to see it reworked into something a little more manageable. Because if, if it comes back, it's not going to be recognizable. No, probably not. And honestly, at this point, you can kind of kind of play your own version of it anyway, because there's so many archetypes in here that have psionic powers. Um, so, yeah, the Psy Warrior is neat, you know? So it's a base fighter, but then you've got... You can make protective fields, use your reaction to reduce damage, um, psionic strike, do more psychic damage uh, when hitting something. You, telekinesis, basically. Just I'm just saying, Jedi. I they're they're pretty much Jedi. They have a side power uh, leap, so I'm you know I'm just. Well, that's force jump right yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't hurt that I swear to God, the art for the Psy Warrior looks exactly like Sam Witwer. It it looks so much like him. Um, Rune Knights. They can get big. Rune Knights get big. Uh, Durgar Rune Knight, do it. Get especially big. <laughs> rune Knights are like pretty mechanic heavy. I think they basically just like carve runes into their weapons or armor, and there's a bunch of different features you can get from it. Probably a lot to go over. Um, there's there's but, a lot going on here. Yeah, but you can get large. I think um, it sort of gives a cool. I guess the you know theme we're going for here is more of uh, I guess Nordic. Uh, viking-esque fighter we had a lot of that going on with the barbarian before and now we now that's we've got a cool one for uh, yeah. fighters as well which is cool it seems like they're, yeah. they're edging into a little bit of the um barbarian territory just like a little bit on some of them mm-hmm. they're already fairly similar classes they've always sort of occupied similar space mm-hmm. so that's not terribly surprising i think a a multi-class between the two could be a very interesting uh experiment i really um there's a section for the fighters in here for battle master builds which is basically just a series of recommendations for kind of styles of fighter because fighter is probably the most versatile class in terms of how you play them and like it lists archers bodyguards brawlers duelists all all sorts of things and it talks about fighting styles to pick up for it maneuvers and feats that all kind of work towards building that kind of fighter i almost would love to see this for other classes too like i have a pretty strong grasp on class building and i feel like i don't need this help so much but it is a good place for inspiration for a character and also you know, for people who have never played D and D, it I feel like it's extremely useful to see a list of recommended. Like, hey, here's the feats that would be useful. Here's the fighting maneuvers that would be useful. You can start from here if you want. I just hope they proofread it better next time. Yeah, what was the what was the one that didn't make sense? Uh, Duelist and Gladiator both recommend the Weapon Master feat for a class that has all weapon proficiencies. <laughs> Uh, for yeah. those uh, un- unaware, Weapon Master gives you uh, proficiency with four different weapons and lets you boost your strength or dex by one. So you all you get from it is a one ASI. So it's it's maybe maybe some proofreading might have been necessary here. Is that definitely all it does? I thought. Oh, um, yep. That's a great weapon. Great weapon master does other things. 
That oh, is a yeah, completely valid right. feat, but uh, yeah, I almost wonder if they lag. meant. I almost wonder if they meant great weapon fighter. Not for duelist, and uh, maybe for gladiator. That's true. No, you're right. I think they just they both I think kind of focus on two weapon fighting. Yeah, this is an oversight, but I, I like the idea of, of a section of recommended builds in general. I think that could be fun for other classes too. Yeah. There's some classes that could potentially benefit from it. I think the the, the Battlemaster is definitely the most versatile in that regard. Like I've mm-hmm. I've 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 done the duelist build before. I, I've I've built you know like Swashbuckler. I think I think I ended up multiclassing it twice to get a level in Monk for unarmed fighting, and then I went to Swashbuckler <laughs> Rogue. But like the main thing was duelist Battlemaster, and mm-hmm. uh, that's it's 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 got a lot of power there, and I, it's actually kind of neat that they're they've decided to show kind of maybe what was intended with this class to begin with yeah i mean i could i would love to see a section like this for like warlocks with how many evocations they get sometimes it's a little overwhelming um i could i could see the similar blur being written pick hexblade win the game (laughs) uh in monks there's a way of the astral self that i i love both for flavor and mechanics Stands are canon now. They are 100% canon. It. It, the idea being that you summon your, like, an astral projection of your being and punt people with it. <laughs> There's a... I also love Tasha's note above the section. Note to self. Create a spell that lets you throat punch people with your ghost. <laughs> it's so good. I, I love um, her her notes in the books. Or in, yeah. Just, like, on the sides. Like... I, th- I thought Xanthar's were kind of funny, but Tasha's are, like, they're hysterical. There's just so much sass in it. She's got a, a strong p- personality that comes through. Xanthar's, like, very, you know, evil and uh, had this al- almost alien mind, and had, but was just so very goofy. Mm-hmm. Tasha's just <laughs> so dry and, and sardonic. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the fun thing about the astral self is it, it talks about how the astral form you're summoning upgrades over time. I love that. So I think f- at first, you're basically just, yeah, you just summon arms. Um, kind of these astral projected, projected arms. Later, it becomes arms and a helmet. Later, it becomes arms, helmet, and armor. And I, I just love the, like, it, it ties in so perfectly with the idea of a monk who is becoming more in tune with themselves and able to ch- to summon a more perfect form of their realized self. It's just, like, built-in visual character progression, and I love it. I also, this reminds me of the theory of the, the Ghastly to Gengar evolution, where it's the idea that the different evolutionary forms are, it's coming, like, into our dimension more. Like, whereas Ghastly, it's just kind of, like, just barely poking through. And then Hunter, it gets its arms through, and it's a little bit more solid. And then the the, uh, Gengar is, it's, like, fully materialized into the uh, art plane. And I love that with that, like, the astral self. Like, maybe this form that you're summoning in is, you know, it's complete in the other area, but you're just learning to pull more and more of it in. Or whatever it is. You you just you just wrinkled my brain. <laughs> I I had never thought about that with the ghastly line. Oh yeah. But that's going I'm gonna put that right in my little head cannon drawer. <laughs> <laughs> 
but no, yeah, that that there's I think there's a lot of ways you could flavor the idea of this astral projection becoming more complete. That's really neat. I like it a lot. I like the glor the Paladin of Glory, just because it fits perfectly with a, another character concept I have. I want to do a Paladin who's like a definitely a hero, but more in it for the fame and glory than necessarily helping people. And since we just talked about Tasha's little notes, I want to read this one because this one made me laugh. <laughs> this is specifically on the Oath of Glory. It says, you, you're it. You're the winner of the Cosmic Fortune Lottery. Oh, and you're going to tell absolutely everyone about it? Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these notes are fun. <laughs> but yeah, just it's a fun flavor for paladins because paladins are usually your goody two shoes lawful good right so I, I just like the idea of one who's more in it for the sport of it or the, i mean the glory of it oath of the watchers Ooh. this is some cool shit uh i i've always liked paladins i i um i'm always i've been a ranger fanboy forever but i think in fifth edition ranger uh, paladins probably the most well-rounded most interesting well-built class and Oath of the Watchers is just a really cool spin on it. Um, I I love the idea of you know the the uh, ever present sentinel standing guard over this universe and uh, and in fact uh, Charles and I uh, kind of spoilers worked on a, a character that was sort of just that uh, a little bit before this book released and uh, and now I have to consider yeah, which changing is crazy. my class uh, because <laughs> it, I it was lines definitely up, not a paladin. It lines up perfectly with that idea we had. It's kind of weird. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm like, it's, it's really cool. I love all of its, its abilities it gets. You, you know, uh, uh, channel divinity to uh, like basically put up a shield and and uh, ward your friends against, uh, uh, give them uh, against these creatures, give them bonuses on saves. Uh, the aura. Uh, uh, sorry, I gotta read through these again. Uh, you know, give, gives bonus initiatives. You can act faster. You can be the the first line of defense against these horrors from another dimension. And I absolutely love the capstone. The capstone's uh, it, nuts. It's, it, it's it is so wild. You can like you know you just buff yourself for a minute. Give yourself true sight so you can see the horrors of the alternate dimension, no matter where they hide. You can get attack rolls uh, advantage on attack rolls against them. And when you deal damage to these creatures, you can just banish them. <laughs> you can just say, "All right, go home," and then and they do so. That capstone, a lot of it is like pretty situational, but it's also like the epitome of what this archetype represents, protecting this realm from extra dimensional threats. And now you just have the ability to passively banish them. That's so fucking cool. Yeah, it's and it's 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 just it's so much fun. I I love the paladin class so much, and um, I'm I'm glad that um, Wizards cares about one of the classes that I like. So yeah. it, seeing this come into play made me very happy. And maybe it's because we were already, like, thinking of a character similar to this, but this is one of the the oats that I can immediately picture a full, like, order of these guys, right? Oh, absolutely. This is sort of like, you know, one guy has to has to put down an Aboleth, and it's like, shit, man, we gotta... <laughs> I need more dudes on this. What if this and happens again? Just, yeah. Yeah, exactly. This is, this is, like, this is just great. Shall we, um... Shall we rip off this Band-Aid and talk about <sighs> Rangers? I okay, yeah I was I was happy for a little bit now let's we haven't really been talking a whole lot about varying class features thus far but I guess it's time to get on that Ranger got the biggest facelift in this regard and it desperately needed it mm -hmm. I only wish that they had done a good job mm, uh, there, nice. 
they're they're actually they're I, I admittedly, despite how much I hate it, there are a lot of good things that came out of this. Deft Explorer is fantastic. Um, uh, what, what was it before? It was Natural Explorer was always very vague. Uh, uh, it didn't, and very situational, didn't really help the ranger in a lot of cases, and those that did, it maybe went a bit too far. If your DM's not using the exploration pillar, natural explorer is practically useless, and if they are, it's maybe not help making you better at it, but it's eliminated entirely. So that was the problem, mm-hmm. and Death Explorer solves that. It, 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 rather than make you just, you're a god in forest, but you suck everywhere else, <laughs> it's more, uh, you get some skills... You, uh, you're better at moving and you actually, you know, temporary hit points is actually pretty neat. I, I do wish they kept the UA version where you could switch it around where you get it. Uh, one, like the, the temporary hit point thing at level 10 is a little weak, but that, that's, what's a, that's a good thing. Um, I, I the, feel like, <clears throat> oh my God, my voice is fucking dying. Sorry. I, I feel like that, like a lot of the stuff in Death Explorer is like, it's useful, but none of it's terribly exciting. The thing at first level skill proficiencies and then your proficiencies doubled in that it's like okay that's i mean that i'll I'll take it i i agree i think canny is 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 pretty um mechanically fine but not dramatic i like roving a lot actually i'm I'm a big fan of that um it increases your walking speed by five and you get a climbing speed and swimming speed equal to walking speed yeah Yeah. you're suddenly so much more mobile uh, which I think makes a lot more sense for this the outdoorsman character. Like you, mm-hmm. uh, you can just scale a wall or a tree like nothing. You can you can swim across a river like nothing. And I, I am a big fan of the archetypal wood elf ranger. And getting to start a character with a forty foot walking speed sounds wild. Uh, and so that that's that's actually very exciting for me. Canny, I is fine. I'll probably just put it in survival or nature or something. And then tireless is temporary hit points at tenth level, which I already. So, yeah. the way I feel about Canny, I think it, like, better reflects kind of how the ranger is and that it has specialties and that it's supposed to be really good at. Whereas, like, I feel like previously, um, uh, rogues, kind of, when you boil it down to the base game, are the only ones with that. And I think this gives them an ability to shine in certain proficiencies with their dice rolls mm-hmm. which is I, I think something that like especially when they didn't have it before i think it's something that's makes the the customization a little bit more because like where you put that point i feel like will reflect what kind of ranger you are yeah i guess for me it's just like since you can put it in any skill proficiency, it doesn't scream ranger to me. It's certainly useful, and any class can, or any character build can make use of it, but it's something that wows me, and I don't look at that and go, oh, I gotta play a ranger now. Yeah, it, it's it's yeah, it's a little weak. I think I think it, it gives ranger a little bit of help. It's a better thing than natural explorer, I think, just mechanically. Um but it is a little weak. I I do like Deft Explorer. I think it is it is a decided improvement from what we had before. But it is better. It's it's just a bit boring. I think the reason why it's not like wowing is because like it's taking something that before was pretty you know not great and making it usable. And if they had gone a step farther and like made it super exciting, it would have been it would have been too much of a leap, and it it might have <laughs> earned the ire of a lot of people 
Whereas, you're, like, uh, I, I, I see a lot of, like, World of Warcraft when they're balancing classes. They'll, like, nerf something super hard, and then when it comes back, it's just crazy powerful again, and it just, like, flies back and forth between those two things, which I know why they do that, huh. but, like, I think in a game like this, it doesn't make as much sense to do that. I think you're hitting on a theme with the Ranger as a class in 5th edition. <laughs> uh, Wizards doesn't want it to be exciting. <laughs> yeah. They want it to be fine, it, it may be. I guess we should bit. put a ranger in the game. Speaking of which, favored foe. Oh, <laughs> Screw you, wizards. Screw you. Um, so, let me, before we get into favored foe a little bit, I want to talk a little bit about the problems with the ranger class in the player's handbook. There's a, a couple sort of key things. Uh, one, its primary class feature, favored enemy, doesn't really do anything. Gives you advantage on wisdoms and intelligence checks against creatures of this type and gives you another language. That's... Fine, I guess. You can track things better. Uh, but it doesn't like give you any sort of like numerical benefits in combat. It doesn't give you the plus two like it did in 3.5. It's just very weak on top of being very situational. Additionally, rangers have an issue with concentration spells. Over half of the spells in the ranger spellbook require concentration. That means and uh, when one of those spells is your primary damage dealing tool, uh, uh, Hunter's Mark... That means a majority of the time you are not casting interesting spells, you're casting Hunter's Mark. Uh, mm -hmm. There's also some bonus action economy issues, which um, I never really ran into a problem with as a, an archer player. But uh, I understand if a dual wielding does want to use that bonus action, and Ranger has a lot of slots to fill that. Favored Foe was Wizard's uh, dis uh, solution to these problems. Favored Foe, uh, just sort of brief description of it, when you hit a creature with an attack roll, you can... Uh, Mark that creature uh, as your favorite enemy for free. Doesn't cost a bonus action. That's nice. Until you lose concentration. So it's the same shit again. So basically what favorite foe does is when you hit a creature, you can you can mark it and you can deal bonus damage when you hit it for, for uh, a bit later. But it costs your concentration. I, I guess if it's a replacement for Hunter's Mark, that's sort of, I guess, fine. It, you, we move it to a class feature. I'll take that. Wait a minute. Deals a d4 damage. <laughs> Hunter's Mark deals a d6. Okay. So, uh, why? It's just worse. What's the point? Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with the class feature coming in and being objectively worse than something you need to expend a resource like a spell slot for. The issue is when it has to compete with that resource. Yeah, yeah. If, if, and I understand Wizards doesn't want, you know, this to maybe stack with Hunter's Mark, but if we take a trip back to the, the Unearthed Arcana version of this... It allowed the ranger to cast Hunter's Mark without expending a spell slot. Ba basically this thing, except it called it Hunter's Mark. You cannot have two instances of Hunter's Mark up at the same time because it's the same spell. Or at least on the same creature. It So it already worked. It already did that. It, in fact, in my opinion, solved a lot of the problems with the ranger because you could just use that Hunter's Mark. You can't cast the spell for it anymore. And you're free to use any of your other 20 spells that require concentration. Um, it is a little unfair to compare things with Unearthed Arcana. Basic, as I understand it, the basic idea there is, um, hey, are you interested in if we did something like this? They're not looking for balanced opinions from the unwashed masses. But <laughs> when, I, when I look at Favored Foe, and I can take do some five-minute math to see there is no situation barring um, a dual-wheeled ranger... Um, I don't even remember what the specific situation was. A dual-wheeled ranger in a fight lasting less than three rounds where favored foe out-damages Hunter's Mark and ability that competes with it. 
you'd think that the playtesters at Wizards of the Coast, professional game designers, would be able to see this as well. It's a very bizarre choice. I just don't, I can't wrap my head around why it's here in this form. Oh yeah, it also only deals damage once per turn is the other big thing. So even when the damage die does go up beyond a d6, Hunter's Mark is still going to do more damage than it. Because the most you're dealing with Favored Foe is 1d8 per turn, whereas Hunter's Mark, you can deal a d6 to 2d6. I think like it'd be such an easy fix to just have favored foe not require concentration. I I feel like stack stacking stacking that with the favored enemy is not even that busted. It's yeah, I fine. And if if it's really an issue, I would literally just put a paragraph at the bottom of it, or maybe make a change to Hunter's Mark that explicitly states cannot stack with this feature. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I'd be completely fine with that if I didn't have to put Hunter's Mark in my spell lists. As, as a ranger, sort of almost as a requirement, uh, that would be wonderful. It's just, it feels really lackluster and really lazy, which I, as, as somebody that has been trying to be excited about rangers since this edition started, it's very frustrating that every time Wizards hands me some uh, weak, uh, tiny little morsel, it's just more of the same uh, nonsense. Mm-hmm. I feel it. Anyway, that's that's enough for my, my rant on favorite foe. The the <laughs> remaining things that Ranger got, including Deft Explorer, are 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 fine. The fighting style options are very cool. Uh, getting more uh, spell options is nice. Uh, I think I like Primeval Awareness more than Primal Awareness. Um, but I uh, more options is always nice. Um, mm-hmm. it's just more spells. But Ranger archetypes, though, <laughs> there are. There is one neat thing in here. The one one cool thing I don't think the ranger got is that swarm keeper. I do like swarm keeper mm-hmm. quite a bit. Uh, Fey wander was is a little underwhelming for me. I don't really care that much. It's just Fey wild stuff. But swarm keeper is very cool and it's very unique. I'm surprised that didn't this this sort of archetype didn't get on like a a wizard subclass. I know the the swarm lord was a like a or druid even yeah a druid. Swarm I was lord. gonna say druid seems more appropriate. Swarmlord was a was a three five archetype for arcane spellcasters is oh. my my thought, but I'm this is a really fluffy interesting uh, feature for the ranger and I absolutely love everything about it. Um, and Swarmkeeper, the idea is you have like a like a swarm of insects at your command and there's a lots of things you can do with them. I guess like I guess it says it can be blights, birds, or pixies, but I don't know. Insects seems like the go to one. Yeah, you, you want you want to be gross. You want to be skitter from Worm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's who's the, the dude? Here. Oh, that too. Who's the dude? There's a dude from Naruto that yeah. has like, bugs. I forget his bugs name. I was just thinking about him too. That's who I think of. Yeah. Uh, but I, I I love everything about like this class has a lot of really cool things going on. One of my favorite things is the uh, the capstone on it, swarming dispersal. You can just disappear into your swarm and then vanish somewhere later as a reaction. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. I love that. Um. You can use your swarm to like knock people over, and you can you can use them to hover. It's just I don't know that it's it's a really interesting build to make a. It feels like a superhero in a way, just like an insect superhero. Mm-hmm. You, well, you've been reading worms, so that's why I have this. I dig this a lot. <laughs> oh god, yeah. And then there's Beastmaster companions. Just trying to buff it, buff that again. Uh, um, yeah. I. I would rather they. Eh, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's it's a change for Beastmaster, which I guess is fine. But it just doesn't really feel. It's like here, uh, 
to fix the class, we've decided you can choose one of three creatures now. It sort of, it takes away a little bit of freedom for the sake of the class, and I feel like maybe just fix the class. Uh, and then rogues. Rogues, yeah. Rogues, um, there's nothing terribly interesting. The phantom is kind of, it's such an edgelord thing, but there's a lot of this flavor This is the edgelord about, class. A lot of flavor about um, kind of grabbing souls that you kill. Or, hmm, Nathan, hmm. Wait a minute, hold on a second. They've been listening. <laughs> they have. They watched the homebrew episode. Nathan and I are working on a, a CS Soul Knight class together. And this this is seems kind of similar, like you get to uh, grab souls. It's okay, very edgelordy. The Soul Knife, uh, we talked about before, is interesting. Y- you get to like summon a blade of psionic energy, and you can throw it at people. It, it did point out that damage dealt with the psionic blade doesn't leave a mark. Which is interesting. Because, like, I'm picturing... In the hands of a an NPC run by the DM, there's some weird shit you could do for murder mysteries if the murderer can summon a weapon that's unfindable and doesn't leave a mark. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 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 real cool. I I'm I've actually been a, a big fan of the Soul Knife for a while, mostly because this this is actually the return of a three five class um, mm-hmm. from the Psionics Handbook. Um, and so this is, this, is, this is sort of a long-awaited thing, at least for me. Um, and and they've, they've done a good job with it. I do really like the... Um, uh, doesn't, doesn't leave a mark, no wounds are left, because, you know, it's all, it's all dealing damage to their brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. Stab them in the soul. It's it's a very sort of cool... Uh, you know, it's, it's it's like... um It's Psylocke, basically, and it's... Uh, yeah. It's that archetype come into play with these, these psychic swords. The, um... The sorcerer got some new meta magic options, but oh poor sorcerer! They don't terribly interest me. Transmuted spell allows you to spend a sorcery point and then change the type of damage of your spells, but like that seems that doesn't seem very useful. Like uh, just pick up different spells at that I, point. I will point out like, though that one of the characters in your ca- campaign does have sp- like only uh, fire spells and. Yeah. This would allow him to keep his spells and then just he could reflavor the fire to like different colors and have it deal different types of damage. But if you're playing a pyromancer, would you want to take something that says, oh, my fire spells are now acid spells? Yeah. If you're fighting something that's resistant to fire. like. But, the, but it's like sort of like you'd have to take this feature in order to use it. And I feel like as, as a pyromancer, I wouldn't care. Yeah. I guess yeah, it's. I mean, I, I, it definitely has uses, of course, overcoming resistances, but I feel like if you're having trouble with resistances, you might want to just... like Either way, you have to change your theme, right? If you're a pyromancer, you either need to pick up new spells to make up for the things resisting you, or use this, and at that point, you're still not really using fire. I guess you could flavor it as, like, yeah, that's now what... it's blue fire, yeah, and it was... does cold damage. That's what I was thinking, is that like it would allow you to stay with your theme... But mechanically reflavor it, or mechanically change the damage type, so you could keep your theme and still overcome those resistances. Okay, you know what? I would, I, I, I get it. I, I, I will backpedal a little bit. I see the use. It's actually kind of neat. Abert mind archetype, another mystic, more psychic stuff. You get some telepathy, lots of psychic theme spells. Oh, oh. 
Clockwork Soul is really cool, though. The idea for Clockwork Soul is that you have power that stems from Mechanus, which is the, the plane of order. There's a really... Where is it? Um, Restore Balance is your level 1 feature. But I think it's super interesting. If something within 60 feet of you is going to roll with advantage or disadvantage, you use your reaction to make it a flat roll. Holy shit. That's, there's a lot you can do with that. Like, it's almost, it's like somewhere between a buff and a debuff, right? Like, if if you know something has advantage and is attacking the party, now it's a normal roll. If your party has disadvantage for whatever reason, back to a normal roll. It's, I love, like, flavor-wise, you're just, like, restoring order. Well, it's called Restore Balance. But I, I, I like that feature a lot. And it's first level. That's really useful. It's definitely a really flavorful thing. I, I love this idea for a Warforge sorcerer. Oh. Yeah. Wants everything to just run smoothly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they got other stuff, but honestly, that level one feature is what's most interesting. I'm a little disappointed in the warlock stuff um warlock's one of my favorite classes mostly for flavor and the stuff here doesn't really blow me away too much um pact of the talisman's kind of neat you have a talisman and i think the fun part is you don't have to be the one wearing it you can give it to someone else and with it there's, there's just smaller um protections you can give the wearer of it and the fact that doesn't have to be you is interesting the Fathomless is interesting because it's, well, it doesn't even seem to, it doesn't seem that um, Cthulhu themed actually because there's the great old one. It's definitely more themed towards watery patrons. I almost wonder if Ford is the inspiration for this from Critical Role. That like, really wouldn't surprise me. It's very Ford. I do think a genie patron for the the, the other otherworldly patron in this is actually pretty neat. I, mm-hmm. I think uh we're sort of you know slowly moving towards a world where uh uh basically any non-human potentially powerful entity can serve as a, as a warlock patron which i'm into basically mm-hmm. uh like I'm, I'm i'm waiting for that dragon subclass give me the dragon warlock it's gonna oh, happen yes. it's gonna happen genie's neat though uh you can jump into your lantern and just kind of chill out in there there's definitely fun things a creative player can do with that so <laughs> karma well isn't she using both the genie and the talisman or is that a pact and a patron yeah okay the the pact and the patron are different things okay i was i was like wait a minute i figured it out as i was saying it (laughs) and then honestly nothing much else really gripped me well there's we're almost at the end anyway she's just wizard uh wizard basically just got two things blade singing got taken out of uh, the sword coast adventure guide which is good it means it's not really a necessary book anymore unless you're playing in the sword coast uh, i do think it's a little weird the changes they did make to it um you can uh now uh your blade singing is based on proficiency now and you can uh when you're in that form you can uh use um a cantrip as part of your extra attack action which is strange considering that you know like i i, I feel like blade the blade song it's sort of it's it's problem is it wants you to incur, encourage you to go into battle and slash things with your sword because you're a melee wizard but invariably what it's used for is oh shoot a monster's coming to attack me i'll blade song to buff myself up and giving them a yeah. ranged op- in the option that you get as a part of your extra attack for it 
seems to be just more encouraging that playstyle rather than discouraging. Because you just take a light crossbow, right? You get crossbow master, from, uh, and then you just you just stay at a range. You shoot spells, and you can shoot with your crossbow, <laughs> which you get bonuses for your blade song. And I don't know. I it seems like some strange changes for this one. It's it's weird. It's it seems like it almost wants you to start doing frontline fighting, but you're still a wizard, and picking this up does give you light armor, but it doesn't change your health die, which is a d6. Like you're still incredibly squishy. It just seems. Well, uh, it it blade song also does give you um it, your intelligence to your AC. So you're like I have I have a blade singer in my game, and he's got pretty consistently twenty armor class. So even if I like I, I'm not hitting him often, um. So and I'm 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 grateful that he does I think play to the spirit of the class and he leaps into melee whenever he gets the opportunity, but um, it just sort of seems weird that they're more giving you more options to not do that when that seems like the less optimal play to do in general. So, yeah. so your does it add your intelligence modifier plus your dex? Correct. Mm-hmm. That could that could end up being pretty high if you've got a, a high dex too. Yep, and it was traditionally only usable for elves, which is no longer the case. Anybody can play this. So you'd always so before you'd have generally probably a positive dex modifier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're gonna have a high de- int modifier because you're a wizard. Um, so you pr- and uh, you can now wear light armor as well. So you could generally you'd probably be somewhere up in the twenties when you're blade singing. It's, I still feel like it ends up hitting a jack of all trades, master of none area. Yeah, no, I could see that. I, I want to I want to see Blade Singer in melee more often. I just uh, this doesn't yeah. help. Yeah, I would I would I would say that it is taking a class that is probably the the last class to be on the front lines and making it a front yeah. line. So it's it's if if they if they rework it too much, you end up stepping on the toes of other classes. Yeah, I think I'd just rather end up playing an Eldritch Knight for this flavor of, like, Spell Sword, you know? I, I feel that. I mean, it's, but it's sort of like, we do have classes... I mean, every class, basically, at this point, has a subclass that goes into the spellcasting area, like Eldritch Knight, Arcane Trickster. That's true. I thought it was really neat to have a, a class that would go the other way. It's like, alright, I'm a spellcaster, now I can hit things a little bit, too. Um, That's true. Although, I will say, some a lot of the spellcaster, like, Druid, Paladin, Cleric, are all also uh melee focused well they're hybrids though mm-hmm. well not not druid but like uh like not druid or cleric but they they can also do that but they're you know primarily spellcasters and wizard never really got that opportunity i i really like that it, it could and i'm glad it's in this book um it is neat to see the option i i yeah i feel like it's easier for a martial class to pick up spells for a spellcaster to pick up martial stuff yeah and you're right and this is still primarily a spellcasting class um, but it just, it gives it some interesting options that you generally don't get with wizard classes. I will say flavor wise, I like the, the description of blade singing as kind of like combining combat and dance. That itself is a pretty interesting just flavor for the class. I can't wait till we have like, just like a pure dance fighting subclass <laughs> or class even like just dance fighting. <laughs> I want that as a fighting style for my, uh, fighter. Well, kids. We're almost at a hundred. hundred. We're almost at an hour and twenty minutes. <laughs> if we just we, finish classes, so I guess we got to do a part two. Yep. Tell you what, gang, we're gonna be back next week with a part two. 
We're going to talk about the feats and spells and magic, and there's lots of fun stuff in this book still to come. So, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week for part two. Adios! Farewell. Ciao.